Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zachar Ness, and in each episode, we highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council, supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. We're also supported by Visit Tillamook Coast, a land of ocean and forest just an hour from the Willamette Valley, that this winter is stressing the importance of being aware of king tides that'll hit Oregon's coastal beaches this coming December and January. The tides can be extremely dangerous and require extra caution from visitors. We'll talk more about king tides just a little bit later in the show. Finally, the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department is asking Oregonians to unlock their creativity with poetry, drawings, photos, and songs inspired by the state's most beautiful places. You can submit your work as part of the Oregon State Parks Centennial Creative Challenge. It's part of celebrations honoring 100 years of state parks in Oregon. And you can find out more about it at stateparks.oregon.gov. All right, in today's episode, we're taking the ultimate winter road trip to Crater Lake. We'll talk about the best way to experience Oregon's only national park for both families and adventurers alike, while also touching on the waterfalls, the hot springs, and the rustic cabins you can enjoy on the drive to the park. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. Well, today is going to be a special episode because we're headed to the most beautiful place in Oregon, and that is Crater Lake National Park during winter. The deepest lake in the United States is transformed into a white wonderland during the year's coldest months by 42 feet of annual snowfall. In summer, Oregon's only national park can be a busy place of cars and lines and crowds, but in winter, it's almost silent where you can snowshoe or ski along the volcanic caldera above that famous sapphire water, and the only thing you hear is the crunch of snow or the call of wildlife. It's a place you can have a mild or a wild experience, including ranger-guided snowshoe trips, a wilderness-style snow camping adventure, or just sipping a hot beverage while enjoying a view of the lake from indoors. In short, Crater Lake offers one of the best winter adventures in Oregon, one that works for families with kids or those seeking a multi-day wilderness adventure. But there's something else to know about a road trip to Crater Lake, and that's the fact that you can do much more than just drive straight to the park. The mountain roads leading to Crater Lake feature some of the state's best waterfalls and hot springs and winter recreation spots, and just passing them by, it's a big missed opportunity. In this podcast, we're going to break down everything. We'll talk with a ranger about the best ways to experience Crater Lake in the winter and break down finding the right base camp for you. We're also going to focus on making the most out of your drive to and from the park on one grand loop that'll include stops in the North Umpqua Canyon and the Willamette Pass Winter Recreation Area. You'll leave this podcast with way more information than you could possibly need. So naturally, feel free to pick and choose from this menu of Oregon outdoor options, all centered around Oregon's crown jewel of a lake. 
All right, well, let's start off by talking about the route that we're going to take, the base camp, and how to check the weather specifically for Crater Lake. These are just key points to getting your trip started and getting the planning going. So for the route, if you're coming from the Willamette Valley and Interstate 5, there are two main Cascade Mountain highways that you can take to Crater Lake in the winter. And those are Willamette Pass Highway 58 outside of Eugene and North Umpqua Highway 138 outside of Roseburg. We're going to make a loop that travels both highways with our stop at Crater Lake kind of right in the middle. So that's a visual of our map. Think of it as kind of a big loop or sort of a horseshoe that starts and ends on I-5. As far as the base camp, it's important to know that there is no hotel or lodge open within Crater Lake National Park in winter. That lodge and that uh, Rim Village, the campground, they're all closed. That means you have to stay somewhere outside the park. Now, you can go ahead and do your own research on this, but the place I've always recommended and stayed myself is Union Creek Resort. They have lodge rooms and private cabins that are reasonably priced. They've got Becky's Cafe for food right there, and it's about a half hour from Crater Lake. So that's pretty close compared to what's around it, because there isn't much around it. It is a pretty remote area. So Union Creek, that's always been my pick. However, two other places worth mentioning include Diamond Lake Resort, especially if you're interested in snowmobiling the area, and that is allowed to an extent at Crater Lake, although not a ton. Uh, I'll also mention the historic Prospect Hotel, which is pretty famous, pretty beautiful. I've never stayed there, but it's close to Union Creek, so it's a, a, you know maybe 35, 40 minutes to get up to Crater Lake from there. So take it for what it's worth. Union Creek, uh, Diamond Lake Resort, and Prospect Hotel are a few options to consider. Finally, I wanted to mention looking at the weather. So Crater Lake's Rim Village, which is kind of the center of winter recreation there, is at 7,000 feet. And it sits on an exploded volcano in the Pacific Northwest. So in the winter, it gets pretty wild. Many of the weather apps are really bad at giving you an accurate report on that area because they pick towns or locations near Crater Lake, but not at the top of Crater Lake itself. So to get the most accurate report, make sure to go to the National Weather Service website, type in Crater Lake, and make sure that map is right at the top so that you're getting that report for 7,000 feet because that's going to make a big difference. You want to have this information because if there's a big snowstorm, there's a good chance some of the key roads will be closed down and you're going to want to be able to kind of predict that as you're planning. Finally, in this planning stage, I'd encourage you to decide what kind of trip you're going to take at Crater Lake. We're going to do a deep dive on all the different types of things you can do there. But if you want to do the ranger guided snowshoe trip, you're going to need to make reservations in advance. Do you want to rent snowshoes and skis to bring? Do you want to camp? Do you want a snowmobile? Again, we're going to break down all of that, but when you're making your itinerary, make those phone calls so that you're all set. The folks at Crater Lake are happy to talk on the phone, and then there's a website and Facebook page that are very much worth exploring. All right, now that we've got that set up, let's hit the road. All right, so to get started on our epic Crater Lake winter road trip, we're going to start by talking about the drive there. And the route that we're going to start off with is North Umqua Highway 138, which heads east just outside of Roseburg. Now, if you are coming from the Willamette Valley, this route does add about 10 minutes to the overall drive. But the trip we're talking about isn't about speed. In this case, we're talking about waterfalls and hot springs. 
So Highway 138 follows the North Umpqua River, which is one of the most beautiful rivers in the state and just a fantastic recreation area if you've never been. There's legendary mountain biking on the North Umpqua Trail. There's amazing fly fishing on the river, and there's really fun whitewater rafting and kayaking. I spent a lot of time in this area in my early outdoor reporting years, and it's just, it's fantastic. And if you've never been there, highly recommend a trip, especially in the summer. But in winter, and just about any time, really, the main attraction is waterfalls. The North Umpqua Canyon is a little bit like a Southern Oregon version of the Columbia River Gorge in that it has these amazing waterfalls that you can find in really short trails that are just off the highway. There's a great map to the waterfalls in this area. There's something like 16 different waterfalls that they highlight, and you can find that guide by just Googling North Umpqua Waterfall Guide. It's called like the, the Canyon of Thundering Waters, and it's a nice PDF that has maps and stuff like that. But I'm going to highlight a few waterfalls that are very easy to access, kind of starting closest to Roseburg and Glide and then heading up towards Crater Lake. So the first waterfalls you usually come across include Fall Creek Falls and Susan Creek Falls. Both were big favorites of mine back in the day, but I do have to mention that they were burned pretty severely by the 2020 Archie Creek fire. Both hikes have reopened and hopefully they've started to, to regenerate, get some of that green back, and they're really beautiful waterfalls. But if you want to hike a fantastic waterfall that was unburned, uh, I'd head to Glide, turn south a little bit, and opt for Wolf Creek Falls. It's just a short side trip off Highway 138, not very far at all, and it's just a beautiful and lush 2.6-mile hike to a 70-foot waterfall. Okay, so continuing up the road just a little ways further, you get out of the burn zone and you come to what are probably the two most scenic waterfalls of the North Umpqua. And the interesting thing is that they really couldn't be any more different. You'll definitely want to stop at these no matter what. And the first one is Watson Falls, which is a 293-foot frozen rope of a waterfall. And then Tokady Falls, a powerful waterfall that blasts into this big amphitheater of columnar basalt. Both are really easy to reach right off the highway. And again, they're both around like one mile of hiking. So the common theme with these waterfalls is they're all pretty short and pretty sweet. Watson Falls is probably the better hike, and it's my favorite waterfall personally. But many people consider Tokady, uh, you know, which is a double-tiered cascade that's about 100 feet, to be the most scenic. I would highly recommend just hitting both of them. It doesn't take very long, and they're both worth it. But if you want to imagine something crazy when you're visiting Tokady, uh, it's that extreme whitewater kayakers have actually gone off it a couple times. And the first person to run it was an Oregon native named Chris Korbulik. He was actually one of the first like people I interviewed as an outdoor reporter. So just a fun little nugget right there. If you're sitting in the, on the little ledge overlooking the waterfall and you're just like, wow, a guy went over that on a kayak. Yeah, it happened. And you can find pictures online. We do have to keep moving a little bit. And so I want to get to the hot springs portion of our journey. And the hot springs in question in this area are Umpqua hot springs. Now, it's an interesting place. There's about a quarter mile hike from the trailhead to these pools that sit right above the North Umpqua River. In winter, a gate sometimes closes on the road, turning it into a trip that you can, you know, ski or snowshoe or just, you know, hike in your boots about a mile and a half to get to the hot springs. I've never got to do that during the uh, during the winter, but it sounds like a lot of fun to travel there when the snow gets low enough. Um, doesn't happen that often, but it does sometimes. Sounds great. The Umpqua Hot Springs do have a bit of a reputation. 
I think it's fair to say that they're, they might be the most beautiful hot springs in Oregon, just like the way the pools sit above the river. It's really cool. At the same time, there is a pretty good chance you'll encounter some naked hippies, uh, very likely people smoking weed and drinking. It can be a pretty wild place. But they have taken some actions to clean it up, including banning camping in the area. I've heard that it's, you know, started to shake that reputation a little bit. But, you know, if you're going there with kids, just keep that in mind. You're probably fine, but it's definitely uh, an interesting place. One other fun note is that Umqua Hot Springs shares a trailhead with another beautiful hike that you might want to take. And that is the Dread and Terror section of the North Umqua Trail. It's such a fun name, Dread and Terror. But actually, there's nothing dreadful or terrible about it. And it actually got that name because two rangers were up there and they thought that it would be a really awful place to fight wildfires because of the impenetrable thickets of thornbush that blankets the area. So <laughs> that's that's where the name comes from. It's kind of anticlimactic, but yeah. I could definitely talk more about the North Umpqua, but uh, to get all the updated information, I'd call the Tokety Ranger Station, which is part of Umpqua National Forest. Uh, you can get all the information about like whether the gate is down to the hot springs, um, you know, whether the trails are open and stuff like that. You can find that number pretty easily online. If you're up for it, there are a few places to stay the night in the North Umpqua Canyon during winter. But we've got to keep moving forward so that we actually get to our destination. Okay, so we made it down I-5. We've had some fun in the North Umpqua Canyon, and now Highway 38 is going to spit us out around Mount Thielsen and Diamond Lake. In the summer, the north entrance to the Crater Lake is right there, but in winter, it's closed up. If you're staying at Diamond Lake Resort, hey, you're here. If you're continuing to Union Creek or Prospect, it's another 30 to 40 minutes down Highway 230. You'll drive past some more great snow parks, some winter recreation spots, but look, we've dallied long enough. It's time to get our butts up to Crater Lake. To that end, we're going to take a break here to hear from our first sponsor. When we return, we're going to be joined by the Crater Lake Ranger, who's going to talk about all the different ways to experience Crater Lake in the winter. So that'll be coming up when we return. I'm Sarah Melton with the American Forest Resource Council. I love the outdoors and exploring the forests near my hometown. My job is to protect our forests and wildlife. I work to defend forest management projects in the courtroom and to support the workers and agencies who steward our forests and public lands. Good forest management based on the best science keeps our forests healthy, improves wildlife habitat, keeps our air and water clean, and gives us the sustainable timber we need for renewable and climate-friendly wood products. AFRC is proud to sponsor the Explore Oregon podcast. Learn more about us at amforest.org. All right, well, to talk about what it's like up at Crater Lake during the winter and everything you need to know about a trip there, we're joined today by Marsha McCabe, Chief of Interpretation and Public Information at Crater Lake. Hey, Marsha, thanks for taking some time. Hey, Zach. Thanks. It's great to be here. Okay, so first off, how would you describe the difference of visiting Crater Lake in the winter as opposed to the summer? I mean, both visually and in terms of the experience that you get up there, what's different during the cold months of the year? 
Well, we, we often say it's like two different parks because the experience is so different. Um, in the wintertime, we're covered with a blanket of snow. It's truly a winter wonderland. And a lot of the places um, that you have access to in the summertime are um, not available to you, but um, it's still a very, very worthwhile experience. Um, the road around Rim Drive is covered in snow and turns into a ski trail or snowshoe trail. The north entrance road um, becomes a snowmobile route. Um, and most of our facilities and services are closed down and, and winterized for the weather in the winter season. Gotcha. So I've always thought that, like you mentioned, the most interesting part of Crater Lake in the winter is how that rim road, which is just slammed with cars during the summer, becomes this kind of quiet, you know, winter recreation, snowshoe and ski trail. So, you know, is that typically how people use it, just following that snowed over roadway to kind of get to the views and stuff like that? Is that how the vast majority of people experience Crater Lake in the winter? I, I think actually the vast majority experience it from Rim Village. Um, it's the busiest area in the summertime, and that's true in the winter as well. Uh, it's the one place uh, where we do have some facilities open this year um, up at uh, the Rim Cafe and gift shop where folks can get some food to eat. But it's um, also at that location you can get indoor accessible viewing of the lake, which is difficult um, at other spots along the rim because you can take an elevator up to the second floor and and look out and, and see the view. Um, a lot of people don't go too much further than that. If they do, um, they might be going off to an area just to play in the snow, um, or they might go and ski or snowshoe a mile or so out on um, what we call West Rim Drive. That's the ski trail, the snow trail in the, the wintertime. Okay, well, I wanted to dig into that a little bit because, you know, I've been to Crater Lake in the winter a, a number of times, but I'm always excited to get out on that rim drive. Maybe I'm going snow camping or something. But what you're saying is that a lot of people just drive to the rim village, you know, maybe park there, head up there, like get some food. You can see the see the lake up there. And so it's, it's kind of a, a more touristy, like laid back experience, it sounds like. Yeah, definitely. Um, we certainly have people that come up here and, and do some cross-country skiing and some snowshoeing as well. But I don't think that's that's everybody. But I, a lot of folks like to come up and just find a spot to play in the snow. You know, some some years we're the only place with a lot of snow to experience. And so people just want to come up and enjoy that. Let's see. I know that this varies based on snowfall and conditions, but you kind of talked about those two different seasons. So what do you consider your winter season up there? Again, I know it's going to vary based on, on snow and what the season brings, but in other words, like when is the snow, the primary driver and when is it kind of that summer season, like ballpark? When does, where is that split? <laughs> well, it's, it's true though. We can get snow any month of the year, but uh, we do say probably November through May, we have a hard closure on, rim drive on November 1st. Um, and that gives, in order to uh, give our maintenance crews time to take down the signs and, and get everything prepared. Some years, like this year, we have to close it before that if we get a significant amount of snow. So we can get a fair amount of snow in October, but we can also be snow free in October. But definitely starting in November, we're in winter mode. And 
truly, we have a lot of snow on the ground, usually through May and sometimes even into June. Um, once we hit May, usually the roads are clear and bare. Um, there's just the big banks of snow on either side of the road and up here at park headquarters. Um, but at that point, we're starting to dig out and get access to the campground and our other facilities and services and things start opening up kind of mid to late May and then, you know, early to mid June. Okay. Well, when you arrive in the winter, you know, you got to take that kind of Southern entrance. You can't go in through the North side unless you're on a a snowmobile. Uh, So when you come up through that Southern entrance, you know, take me through your, your options as you enter the park, as you kind of drive through there, where can you check in and get information? Um, How high can you drive and kind of just take me through that, like that access points as you get from, you know, down by Union Creek and then up to you know, Rim Village. Sure. You can either um, come in from the the west or from the south. So you can come up from the Union Creek area or also from the Fort Klamath area on Highway 62. And after you've come in about maybe about 10 miles, um, you hit the entrance station and you begin to go up um, to Rim Village. So at the entrance station, once you're there, that's a good spot to ask some preliminary questions if you if you have anything you want to know. They also hand out the park brochure and the park newspaper at that spot, uh, which will give you most of the information that you need. Uh, four miles up from the entrance station is uh, our park headquarters area. Normally, we have a visitor center open in that location, but the Steel Center is currently undergoing a major rehab, and so that building is actually closed this winter, unfortunately. So we don't have a visitor contact point at park headquarters, but um, sometimes the road is closed at park headquarters if we get a big snowstorm, so that might be as far as you can get on a, on a, some days. But once you hit park headquarters, it's another three miles up the road to Rim Village. Um, should also back up and say at park headquarters is the spot where you would park if you want to go skiing or snowshoeing out on what we call East Rim Drive. And uh, a lot of folks take advantage of that. Um, but the rest then will go up to uh, Rim Village where they can go off on uh, West Rim Drive or experience uh, the snow and, and in the Rim Village area. Okay. So since park headquarters is, is closed right now, what's the best way, you know, if you're planning a trip, is it best to just call ahead and get that, get those questions answered in advance? Is there a contact at the park itself at this point that you can, that you can uh, do? Uh, Take me through that. Sure. There's a couple different options. Um, One is you can definitely call us and ask questions. We staff a phone from, um, 10 in the morning till four in the afternoon, seven days a week, mostly. And if we're on another call or we're tied up with something else, we'll definitely call you back. And I can give you that phone number later if you like. Um, I would also recommend checking out our park website. We put a lot of information up there for folks to help plan their visit. And there's also, if you haven't um, discovered this already, there's a new great National Park Service app um, that you can download on your phone. It's good for Um, all national parks, but you can go and focus, pick Crater Lake and get the specific information for Crater Lake on that app. The one other point where we'll have some staffing, at least on the weekends, is up at the Rim Cafe. It's a two-story building. And as I mentioned, up on the second floor, you have um, viewing of the lake, which is um, great for folks that don't want to climb out on the the snowbank to see it. But 
we also try to have a what we call the winter rim desk up there, which the Friends of Crater Lake help us staff on the weekends um, to provide information to visitors. And sometimes I'm able to have my full-time volunteers or staff up there um, to help folks as well. So, um, and even if you don't have a person up there, it's another spot to get some information about the park. Um, so this is a really simple, a fast, uh, fast question here, but is there food and lodging available and to what extent? Well, there's definitely food when you can get to the rim. Um, I have to caution that because there are times we just got out of one of them where we had this big snowstorm over a period of several days. And when that happens, it takes a while to clear clear things out, clear out the roads and make it um, safe to, to drive and to go and explore. So when that happens, the road to Rim Village is closed. And if the road to Rim Village is closed, you can't get there. The cafe and gift shop is not open when that's the case. So in those conditions, you'd have to to bring your own food. Um, when the road to the rim is open, which we hope is most of the time, uh, the rim cafe is open from 10 to five daily and um, they have grab and go food. And I think from um, 10 to three or four, they even have some hot food available as well, like soup or um, hot dogs or things like that. So on a nice sunny day like this, when the road to the rim is open, uh, definitely food. Lodging, you're going to have to find lodging outside of the park in one of the nearby communities. Uh, the Crater Lake Lodge is only open from mid-May till mid-October, so it's it's closed down. And the Mazama Village is also closed down um, as of the end of September, and that won't open up again until probably late May or June. Okay. Well, all right. So let's get into kind of the trips that you can take there. Now, it sounds like there's kind of three different specific ways that you could do Crater Lake in the winter. The one you kind of mentioned was, you know, just heading to the Rim Village, getting a view, maybe playing around in the snow. And that's and that's kind of it. You can take in the beauty and throw a snowball at your kids. And, and that's about it. And then there's kind of a day trip. And then there's an overnight adventure. So those are kind of three distinct things that stick out. So for day trips, uh, I know the ranger guided snowshoe trips are always pretty popular. So can you talk about what that looks like? Sure. Yeah, we're excited to be able to offer ranger guided snowshoe hikes again this um, this year. We had a, had to have a break during COVID, so we haven't had them since um, early 2020. So we're really excited to, to start that program up again. To go on a snowshoe walk, because they are so popular, we do ask that you uh, make a reservation in advance. There's no charge other than the entrance fee that you have to pay to get into the park. But you call up, make a reservation, make sure we've got spot on our um, on our hikes, and then we can tell you, you know, kind of what you need to know, where to go, safety information, how to dress, because sometimes the days are beautiful and sunny, and some sometimes it's snowing sideways, so you have to be prepared for kind of all conditions. And then once we give you that information, you show up by 1230 on the day of the hike. Um, we are, although we don't have a visitor center at park headquarters, we are going to be able to check folks in at our administration building and just make sure that they've arrived and, and know where to go. In the event that the road to the room is closed, we do the snowshoe hikes at park headquarters. But when the road to the room is open, we definitely go up and um, go into the area that in the summertime is uh, what we call Picnic Hill. It's a picnic area, but in the wintertime, it becomes a beautiful winter wonderland to explore on snowshoes. We also provide snowshoes uh, free of charge for the visitors. And we ask the participants to be at least eight years of age because it can be really tough moving through the snow if it's uh, 
if it snowed recently and hasn't been packed down yet. Um, and we have snowshoes for kids, but not really little kids. So what does the ranger guided snowshoe trip typically entail? So, I mean, how far are you going? Are you with a ranger the whole time? Who's kind of telling you about the geology and ecology and stuff like that? Uh, paint me a little picture. Sure. Definitely. Um, you're with a ranger the whole time. And so, you know, one of the great things about snowshoeing is you don't really have to have any experience to do it. It's like walking. It's maybe a little bit more strenuous than regular walking for sure, depending on the conditions, but you're always with a ranger. And we talk about, you know, winter ecology, about, you know, how the plants and animals and people prepare for the large amount of snow we get and, and the importance of that snow, not only to the park, but to surrounding areas as well. The hike can be a little bit strenuous at times. It's about a mile, a mile and a half that they go out and about. But again, it's not like hiking on a dirt trail. It's a little, a little bit more tricky than that. Gotcha. Okay. And so, you know, the ranger guided option is one really good one, especially if it's your first time going up there. You're, you don't have a lot of experience in the winter, you know, back country. But one of the things that I recall and that I used to do a lot was just doing a day trip uh, where I would basically just, you know, you drive in, uh, you pay the entrance fee. And as long as the road's open, you could kind of just drive on up to the top. You can find the rim road, the, especially the West Rim Road, and, you know, head out on the on the road, which becomes a trail. Is that a normal way of doing it? Uh, what are the other ways you could do it if you're doing a day trip, uh, but you're not doing the ranger guided option? Sure. Um, definitely heading out on on. With West Rim Drive is a great way to go. Our concessioner does rent snowshoes. So um, if you don't have your own or haven't rented them before you get to the park, it is possible to rent snowshoes from 10 to 3. They don't do any overnight snowshoe rentals, but you might try to do that. Or if you have your own, we don't rent any skis. So you'd have to either bring your own or rent some in town before you come up. Um, it's really a nice trip out to even Discovery Point is only about a mile, you know, for folks to ski or snowshoe. Some folks like to go out beyond that to um, the Wizard Island Overlook, which is about four miles from Rim Village, turn around and come back. Um, once you start going beyond Wizard Island Overlook, you start getting into more um, treacherous terrain and avalanche zones and things that you really need to be um, an experienced skier um, to go out and explore. Other folks will go out on East Rim Drive. Like I said, you can access that from park headquarters. Again, you can ski out to Sun Notch, which is about a four mile trip. Um, once you go beyond Sun Notch, you start getting into avalanche zones. Um, certainly people ski out there, but you need to be aware of that and maybe have more experience. Um, and sometimes folks, you know, if you're just a beginner, might go skiing around down in Mazama Village, um, which you come to right after the park entrance station where the park campground is in the summertime. That's a nice level area uh, for beginners to, to go out and explore. Great. Yeah. I mean, I know that I, when I would bring friends, you know, I'd have friends visiting from out of town and we'd go up to Crater Lake. Um, I think we would typically do that, that route over to the Wizard Island Overlook and back. And that was like, it was a, it was a good trip, but it wasn't that hard. It was like it, in that nice, like moderate level. And it was just really scenic because you have so many views of the lake, you know, surrounded by the snow. And it was like, it was a real classic um, kind of trip, I thought, for, for Crater Lake and, you know, kind of a bucket list trip. But the day option, you know, being kind of straightforward, 
the other big highlight you can do out there is, you know, definitely more advanced. And that is touring the entire, I think it's 33 miles of the rim road around the lake on a trip that involves snow camping. Um, you know, it's, it can take three to four days and depending on how fast you go, but that big highlight there is that you can camp with a view of the lake in the snow. Now I did this a number of years ago. It's a real bucket list trip, but it's also a big undertaking. So to start, you need to get a permit. You need to check in with a ranger, correct, Marcia? So how, how do you make that happen if you're going to do this much more uh, intensive trip? Yeah, you're right. It requires a lot more planning. You have to check in with our backcountry office, which is located at park headquarters. They're open from eight to four daily, um, but you have to check in with them in person to get a permit. They're going to want to know where you're going, what your trip plans are, uh, what kind of equipment you have, if you're adequately prepared when you hope to be back, if you have emergency contact information, because backcountry camping in the winter is a whole different thing than backcountry camping in the summertime. So there are a lot of safety mm -hmm. issues and precautions uh, that you need to take and that we want to make sure that you're aware of. Okay. Now, basically, I, you know, the way that I did it was you just follow the rim road and there are, like you talked about, there's hazards and stuff like that, but a big part of it is making camp, you know, in the snow. And so, I think the big question here is when you're talking to visitors about this, how close or how do you tell them to interact with that rim of Crater Lake? Because, you know, it's great to have that view. You can watch the sunrise, the sunset. It's really, you know, a once in a lifetime opportunity. But what do you what do you advise on picking those campsites and how to deal with that snow camping near the rim? Sure. Um, good question. One of the um, things you need to make sure you do as as in the summertime too, you need to be out of sight of the trail. And in this case, the trail is the, the rim road, right? Um, that you're skiing on. And you need to be out of sight of other campers that might be in the area. You know, and this is in an effort to help everybody have, um, you know, more solitude, a more uh, wilderness experience. You also need to be really, really careful anytime you're around the rim, whether it's in Rim Village or whether you're skiing the whole 33 miles. We have these um, things known as snow cornices that form when the wind blows the snow, it'll blow it out over the edge, but because it's cold and it freezes, it doesn't necessarily, you know, go into the caldera. It forms these cornices. So if you and, and you can't necessarily tell where they are. So you could potentially walk out on a cornice and there's nothing underneath and the, and your weight would cause that cornice to collapse. And then you're falling into the caldera. Um, and um, that's not a good thing. So you really, really need to be careful and never get too close to the edge, uh, no matter where you are in the park. In Rim Village, there's a rope line in a lot of places. Stay behind the rope line. But when you're out in the backcountry, of course, there's none of the uh, those safety warning things. So please don't don't get too close to the edge. Uh, we I think you're required to camp at least a hundred feet away from the edge. Um, so that should put you mm -hmm. in a safe spot as well. I, I remember when I was picking my campsites, I would typically try to camp, you know, so I could see the lake, but I was kind of back in the trees yeah. uh, because I, you know, I was, I, I was figured, you know, the trees are going to be on solid ground and you're, you're, you're in, you're pretty safe uh, at that point. Yeah. And the trees give you some protection from the, the wind and the elements mm -hmm. too. 
Okay. So uh, any other potential hazards that you want to, I mean, anybody who's going to do that backcountry trip, do all 33 miles, they're going to talk to a ranger. They're going to, they're going to get that figured out, but any things that you would highlight for people thinking about it, like, you know, you mentioned avalanches, um, you know, there's also weather. Uh, so can you kind of address that as far as, you know, if you're planning to be out there for a few nights, um, how should you think about those two things? Yeah, that's a good question. So definitely, we definitely have avalanche zones in the park. And one of the things uh, when you get your permit, the backcountry rangers will be able to show you where those avalanche zones are. Anybody who's planning to do the whole trip around the rim and even, you know, maybe shorter day trips, it's good to have avalanche beacons and know how to use them. But also the weather, that's a really good point. Um, we can, it can be a beautiful sunny day one day and we can have a big storm coming in the next. So you need to make sure you're aware of the weather forecast. Um, not that things can't always change, but knowing what the forecast is, is really important in trying to decide when you're going to make that trip that, that, um, takes about three to four days. A lot of times we see the most people do the round the rim trip, maybe in March and April, because by then, we don't have maybe as many big storms, but um, really want to be weather savvy and know if there's anything potentially coming in before you head out on a long trip like that. Yeah. And you have those, and by the spring, you have some of those longer days too. You know, there's the better weather, you know, the spring skiing is, I, I love spring skiing. Yeah. So I can, I can see the appeal. Can you touch on one thing that I always thought was interesting was how, you're not always going to see the lake when you go up there in the winter. I think, I think day or the, uh, one of the rangers up there said like, it's like 50, 50, if you're actually going to see the lake because of the, you know, storms that come through the fog that comes up from there. Uh, so, I mean, how often, like, are you actually going to see the lake? And I mean, I, it's, it would be a bummer to go up there and not be able to see it. Right. Exactly. Well, one thing you can do, uh, we do have webcams in the park. Um, there's one at, park headquarters and one at the entrance station, but there's also one that uh, looks out on the lake. And so that's a good way to find out if you can see the lake and they'll tell you at the entrance station. And sometimes folks make that decision at the entrance station. If they can't say the, see the lake, they're going to turn around and leave. Um, but it's all part of the weather and the winter here and that important moisture that's coming in from the snow. And, you know, when we have a big storm going, you probably can't see the lake. Um, so it's, it's just all, it's all part of it. And sometimes, you know, you, you're treated to clouds coming in and out and sometimes you can see it and sometimes you can't, but um, it's all part of the magic of winter up here at Crater Lake. One thing I wanted to follow up on is the number of people that you're seeing at Crater Lake. Now, when I was snow camping back there years ago, um, it was really pretty quiet for the most part, especially once you get past uh, like Wizard Island Overlook. Are you seeing a big uptick in visitors during the winter or is winter still a pretty good time for solitude? So what trends have you been seeing there? Well, we've definitely seen some uptake um, in the winter on the weekends, especially during the week. It can still be pretty quiet on the, the weekends. We can get busy and you know, in, in recent winters where there hasn't been a lot of snow in the normal places, this has been the only snow for folks to to play in and experience. And so that I think has increased um, some of our visitation and, you know, also folks just being aware that, that we're up here and um, open for winter recreation. But I think it's still very true that if you venture um, out past Wizard Island Overlook or even out past Discovery Point, um, you're going to find 
solitude. Um, and it, it's true in the summertime too. If you venture out very far into the backcountry, it's going to be pretty quiet, and you're going to be able to have that um, wonderful, you know, wilderness and solitude experience that you're looking for. All right. Well, anything else people should know about uh, traveling to Crater Lake in winter that we didn't touch on? Well, um, I think we should talk a little bit about the roads and driving on the roads. We have uh, Mm -hmm. awesome plow operators that work from four in the morning till eight at night to try to keep our roads open and plowed and safe. Um, So, you know, they are in in good winter condition, but the roads are usually snow packed and icy, even when they're plowed. And if there's a storm coming in, we can get, you know, several inches of snow an hour and sometimes the plows can't keep up with that. And those are the times often when we close the road to Rim Village. But, you know, the the road may be narrow during a snowstorm, maybe only a lane and a half. And it might also, you know, have an inch or two of snow on it. So Oregon uh, has regulations about snow zones. Crater Lake is definitely a snow zone. And we follow all the Oregon Department of Transportation regulations. Um, And snow zones mean that the chains or traction tires are required. And um, it might be that you get to the entrance station and you don't have chains or traction tires and you might get turned around because it's not safe for you you to proceed. Um, The other thing is, you know, if you do venture out on skiing or snowshoeing when you're out, you know, a mile or more from from the Rim Village area, know that if you get yourself in trouble, if you are injured or have problems, um, it's going to be a while before help can get to you. Uh, We do have a a ski patrol and we have our law enforcement and and rescue, um, search and rescue rangers and um, other folks that we can call on from the local communities. But, you know, we're we're a ways from town and um, that's part of the you know, magic about being up here is that you're really out and having um, a winter wilderness experience, but you need to know that um, you need to be prepared so that you can self-rescue and take care of yourself until help can can make it to you. Yeah. And you know, that, that sticks out because it's the, that was my, always my favorite thing and still is my favorite thing about Crater Lake in the winter. You know, in the summer, there's, there's usually a lot of people around and, you know, there's families and, you know, all, all the stuff going on. There's a lot of hustle and bustle, but in the winter you get out there and, you know, it feels like you're in the middle of nowhere in some places, except you have a view of, you know, what's probably the most beautiful lake in the United States, if not the world. And it's, it's just a, a really amazing experience. So, all right. I've been talking with uh, Marsha McCabe, the uh, chief of interpretation and public information at Crater Lake. Thanks so much for, uh, for doing this, Marsha. Thanks, Zach. It's been great to talk with you. Okay, well, I'm just going to follow up with a few quick notes after that interview. We touched on it a little bit, but you are allowed to snowmobile to the rim of Crater Lake in one specific spot. Now, you can rent a snowmobile from Diamond Lake Resort and then follow a pretty straightforward route into Crater Lake following the north entrance road, and then it takes you to the rim of the lake. You're not allowed to snowmobile around the lake on that rim road. That's only for non-motorized. So it really just comes to this one spot. Still, I've done it. And, you know, if you like snowmobiling, it's a lot of fun. All right, we're going to take one more break to hear from our sponsors. When we return, we're going to talk about the return journey from Crater Lake and all the fun stuff that you can do along Willamette Highway 58, including Mora Hot Springs, 
a downhill ski area, or snowshoeing to a giant frozen waterfall. So that's when we return. This message is brought to you by Visit Tillamook Coast. The Pacific Ocean's king tides of winter are one of the most impressive sights on the Oregon coast, but they can also be a deadly hazard. Visit Tillamook Coast wants visitors who head out to the beach to be aware of the king tides that are expected to hit coastal areas November 24th through the 26th, December 22nd through the 24th, and January 20th through the 22nd. When king tides hit, it's important for visitors to observe waves from a distance. Normally, when visiting the ocean, the big rule of thumb is don't turn your back on the ocean. In the case of king tides, however, you don't want to go anywhere near the ocean. Three guidelines to focus on include staying off beaches during king tide events, staying off low-lying areas such as jetties or parking areas close to the beach, and staying off clip and staying off cliffs that can suddenly crumble when hit by powerful waves. For more information on King Tides, visit www.oregonkingtides.net. Once again, www.oregonkingtides, all one word, .net. All right, welcome back. So far, we've hiked in waterfalls and soaked in hot springs in the North Umpqua Canyon. We've had a great time at snow-covered Crater Lake. The question is whether you have any energy left for some fun on the way home along Willamette Pass Highway 58. If so, you're in luck, because Willamette Pass is a winter wonderland that will give you even more chances to use those snowshoes or skis. So if you look back in our archives, we did cover winter recreation on Willamette Pass in pretty good depth in episode 11. So I'm just going to hit a, on a handful of my favorites here, but if you want more depth, go back and listen to that episode. So the question is, what can you find on Willamette Pass? Well, it's a lot. If you've got time, I definitely recommend staying at cabins around Odell Lake or in the area, just because you can do a lot in a couple days and it makes its own like nice little mini vacation there. There's actually two places you can rent cabins around Odell Lake, and that is at Odell Lake Resort and at Shelter Cove RV Resort. They're great because they're just right next to everything that you're going to want to do in that area. Now, as far as places to go, obviously, you'd have to start with the great little ski hill at Willamette Pass Resort. It's affordable, it's fun, and a good spot for kids if you like downhill. Beyond that, there's a bunch of snow parks. And so those are the little places where you can park and then access the vast network of trails that lead to, you know, waterfalls and backcountry hunts. And you're usually traveling by ski or snowshoe when you're doing that. The snow park with access to many of these snow shelters. So those are places with, you know, uh, it's a three-sided shelter. It's got like a little fire stove in there, firewood. It's just a good place to, to rest. You know, you've hiked, you've snowshoed maybe, two or three miles, you kind of stop at one of these shelters, rest and relax, and then head back. That's usually the way it goes. The snow park with access to the most of those shelters is Gold Lake Snow Park, which is right next to Odell and right next to Willamette Pass Resort. So to the north, it leads to Gold Lake Shelter. And from that spot, you can get a nice little view of Gold Lake itself. 
And then if you head to the south, there's places like Bechtel Shelter, uh, there is Westview Shelter, and I would highly recommend getting a Willamette Pass winter recreation map or just, you know, searching Gold Lake Snow Park because you can find, you know, all the trails, all the shelters, rather than me kind of talking about it here, you can visualize it. Uh, if you head down the road uh, back towards Eugene, another 10 miles, uh, there's my second favorite snow park in Oregon. And it's a place I've mentioned a few times on this podcast, but that is Salt Creek Snow Park. Now, I really love this one because it has options for whatever kind of day you want to have. There's a little sledding hill for kids. Uh, you know, if you just want to get out of the car, play around in the snow and do some sledding. And then if you're up for a little bit more, there's a short walk or snowshoe to see 280 foot Salt Creek Falls all covered in snow. So that's a really incredible sight. Salt Creek Falls in the winter, definitely like up there as far as like cool trips to take in Oregon. And then if you want even more waterfalls, you can head out on beautiful Diamond Creek Falls Loop. And that's a five mile trip kind of into the backcountry. So you start at Salt Creek Falls, you go on a little loop and you can see Diamond Creek Falls, which is almost as beautiful, frankly, and just covered in, in snow and ice back there. And it's just a really cool one. So that's Salt Creek Falls. And then if you're really feeling ambitious uh, from the same snowpark from Salt Creek Falls, you can climb up Fuji Mountain Road to Fuji Mountain Lookout. And it has just a knockout view of Diamond Peak. And one thing I should mention about all these snow shelters is you are allowed to stay the night. You know, you might have company, you might have other people there. Uh, you might get cold, um, but you are allowed to spend the night there. I've done it once and it's pretty cool in those three-sided shelters. There's also a couple that are totally enclosed. Those are a little bit warmer, but you know, if you're going to do that, do some research and figure it out. So after this long journey, after the waterfalls of the North Umpqua, the snowshoeing, skiing at Crater Lake, and now all this stuff on Willamette Pass, there's only one way that you got to wrap up the whole adventure, and that's with a stop at McCready Hot Springs. It's just down Highway 58, heading back towards Eugene. Now, there's a little day-use area for McCready, but that's actually the wrong place to access the hot springs. So poke around on the internet, do some searching for McCready Hot Springs. It's really easy to find the secret little entrance that gets you over to the rock pools where, you know, you're in the hot springs right along the river. So, wow. Okay, that was a ton of information all thrown at you at once. But hopefully this stokes some ideas for getting the most out of a winter adventure to Crater Lake. I guess if you leave this with anything, it's that there is so much more to a road trip to Crater Lake than just going to Crater Lake. If you've got any questions, please feel free to email me and I'm happy to help. You can reach me at zurness at statesmanjournal.com. That's Z-U-R-N-E-S-S at statesmanjournal.com. If you want more information of the places that I've talked about, you can see expanded stories on just about all of them. And I'll post those on the landing page for this episode that you can find at statesmanjournal.com slash explore. All right, well, that's about all the time we have left in today's show. If you liked what you've heard, check out our catalog of more than 60 episodes featuring Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places at statesmanjournal.com slash explore, along with Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. We'd once again like to thank our sponsors, beginning with the American Forest Resources Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for our environment, for our economy, and for the future. Learn more at amforests.org. We'd also like to thank Visit Tillamook Coast, 
If you want to plan a trip out there, you can check out their outdoor recreation map that shows all the places to hike, swim, boat, and camp. You can find that map at tillamacoast.com slash recreation hyphen map. Once again, that's tillamacoast.com slash recreation hyphen map. And thanks to the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department, which stresses the importance of recreating responsibly and leaving no trace in Oregon's outdoors. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time for the next edition of the Explore Oregon podcast.